lesson comes from Psalm 121. If you want to follow along, it's in the Pew Bibles, page 560. Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where will my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time on and forevermore. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Merciful God, speak to us now. Help us to experience and receive your presence and your goodness. Help us to go forth from here with that presence and with that goodness to those around us who need it, who need you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Um, let me start by saying how much I appreciate the worship band. Um, you guys prayerfully and diligently lead us into worship. We're really fortunate to have um, people like uh, the people in our worship band who are so um, skilled and so committed. And in fact, they're so skilled and so committed that I bet that if we asked them to do all the stuff that they did this morning, but while hiking up a mountain, they could do that and they would do it well. Can you imagine that? Singing while trekking up a hill, pushing a piano and a drum set. Rob, Rob is trying to figure out if I have an extension cord long enough. It, it seems absurd, but for God's people way back when, it was commonplace, not the pushing the piano up the mountain part, but um, three times a year, God's people made a pilgrimage to Jerusalem for a particular religious festival and if you know the local geography, you know that Jerusalem is the highest of hills and is surrounded by hills. And while they made that pilgrimage, they sang. The people of God lifting their voices in praise as they literally and figuratively ascended upward to Jerusalem. And, and what did they sing? They sang what we now know as Psalms 120, to 134, which we often refer to as the Songs of Ascent. Over and over again, three times a year, God's people sang these psalms to God and to each other as they made their way upwards in worship to Jerusalem. Journey is a, a powerful and recurring theme in the Bible, as, as you know. The Exodus, out of Egypt, uh, and into the promised land. That was a defining moment for, for God's people. And, and much of the action 
in the Gospels, uh, in, the, in the accounts of Jesus' ministry in the Gospels, is of him and his followers on the move. And it's for this reason that when a Christian brother or sister tells me that they're making a big transition in their lives, moving to a city for a new job, or heading to the mission field, Art and Darcy, uh, I always encourage them to take time in the tumult to receive God's presence in the transition and to wait for what he's trying to teach and, and what he's trying to do while they're on the move. God is God where we were. God will be God where we're going. But God is also God in the transition. And I hope that that's a good word for, for each of us individually, and I hope that's a good word for, for us as a church. We may know who God was last chapter, and we may want to hurry up and get to the next chapter to find out who God will be in that next chapter. But God is not in a hurry. He is with us in the journey, and his people knew way back when that while they were journeying, they ought to sing. So that brings us to today's text. Psalm 121 is one of my very favorite passages in all of the Bible. And many of you know it, or at least the opening line by heart, because of the song that we sing here in church. Um, I pray that as we unpack its meaning this morning, we'll, we'll know it in a new way. So, so you know how the psalm starts. I'll lift up my eyes to the mountains. From where shall my help come? How many of us, when we are despairing, instinctively look up to the hills? It's a natural response. But I don't think that is quite what the psalmist meant. Maybe if we transport ourselves back to the psalmist time, we remember that travel back then was fraught. Someone could be lurking in the shadows, waiting to pounce on us, harm us, take our stuff, leave us for dead. Or if we were in the midst of battle, an opposing army could be just around the ridge, ready to charge us and overwhelm us. But I don't think that is quite what the psalmist meant either. My understanding of the original tent of the psalmist in Psalm 121 is informed by Dr. Eugene Peterson's delightful book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. Peterson writes, During the time this psalm was written and sung, Palestine was overrun with popular pagan worship. Much of this religion was practiced on hilltops. Shrines were set up. Groves of trees were planted. Sacred prostitutes, both male and female, were provided. Persons were lured to the shrines to engage in acts of worship that would enhance the fertility of the land, would make you feel good, would protect you from evil. There were nostrums, protections, spells, and enchantments against all the perils of the road. Do you fear the sun's heat? Go to the sun priest and pray for protection against the sun god. Are you fearful of the malign influence of the moonlight? Go to the moon priest and buy an amulet. Are you haunted by the demons that can use any pebble under your foot to trip you? Go to the shrine and learn the magic formula to ward off the chief. From whence shall my help come? From Baal, from Asherah, from the sun priest, from the moon priestess? So there were essentially gods for every woe. And they were all there on the hills, waiting to be called on 
for help. I'll lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where will my help come from? This all may seem primitive to our modern eyes, and yet, do we not also have gods for every one of our woes? Are we not also tempted to lift our eyes to the hills and pick from among them for the help that we need for a given situation? When we're in transition, do we not also flail around for help from all sorts of places? I don't know how long the psalmist pauses between verses 1 and 2. But I do know what his answer is to his own question. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. Two things to point out here. First, he calls on a specific God, Yahweh, God of Israel. When, when you see Lord in all caps in the Bible sometimes, that, that, that's Yahweh. And I actually find it kind of annoying that we don't use the name Yahweh more often because the name God is so generic. We're not calling on a generic God, one whose specific identity is amorphous and can be bent however we choose. We're calling on a distinct God, Yahweh, the God of Israel, the God of the Old Testament, the God of the New Testament. Second, how does he describe this particular God, Yahweh? He made heaven and earth. The other gods on the hills that offer the promise of help for every woe are all made things. Yahweh is the maker of all. Which would we rather choose in a pinch? A made thing? A generic catch-all God? Or a specific helper, Yahweh, who made heaven and earth and who has revealed himself to his people as they journey through life. In case we're still on the fence, the psalmist proceeds with this particular God's credentials. He won't let our foot slip. He won't sleep. He keeps you. He's your shade. The sun and moon won't smite you. He'll protect you from all evil and keep your soul. He'll guard your going out and your coming forth forever and ever. This psalmist doesn't need to say it, but he means this. Yahweh can and does do all of those things, and all of your other choices on the hills cannot and do not. Yahweh is supremely able and supremely desiring to protect you and keep you, and all of your other choices on the hills are not. Yahweh is where your help should come from, not from anything else you can find on the hills. And this, I believe, gets at the very core of God's character and the reason he is the way he is with us. People often wonder why Christians insist that God is, quote-unquote, the only way. Why, why can't the Christian God be good for Christians, but others be free to choose other gods that are good for them? That misunderstands Yahweh's perspective. He is the maker of all, he is able to keep us and satisfy our every need. He desires to be that for us. And so he is greatly honored when we say, when we sing as we ascend, yes, God, we choose you. Our help comes from you. And he's greatly dishonored 
when we choose our help from the hills instead, from made things that cannot and do not protect or provide. And so I want to close by doing something a little different. I believe that all of us were made for our help to come from Yahweh. I believe that we as a church were made for our help to come from Yahweh. But I believe that all of us and we as a church have chosen to look to the hills instead. Instead of one God, one specific God, Yahweh, we've cluttered our landscape with, with made things that we turn to for help. And our clutter is an indictment of our misplacement of faith in these made things rather than in our maker. And I believe it's time to see just how cluttered our landscape is. I have a pile of toy blocks. I want you to think about one or two or three or ten things that you personally or we as a church look to instead of Yahweh when we are in distress. It could be our intellect, it could be our health, our reputation, it could be our jobs, our savings accounts, our social network. It could be constancy or it could be constant change. A commitment to tradition or an openness to break from it. It could be bad habits, it could be good works. Some of the things on the hills way back when were wicked things, but some were neutral or even positive things. They just weren't where our help should come from. And so it is perhaps with the things we turn to individually and as a church instead of God. So I want you to take however many toy blocks for however many things you thought of, and I want you to place them on the center table. And when we're all done, I want us to see just how cluttered we've made our lives and our church. That when God wants and invites, what, what God wants and invites uh, us to is for him to be our help and keeper. And, and of course, God sees this clutter and any other clutter that we've cluttered our lives and our church with. So this, this stack of blocks is not news to him. But perhaps it will show us just how cluttered we've become and how much we need to unclutter in terms of where our help comes from. We all want God to help us, but we need to clear out all our other help sources first. So we'll close by confessing our turning to made things instead of the maker, and then by clearing the table of the toy blocks and asking God to help us Choose him and only him when we uh, individually and as a church need help. Amen. Let's pray. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lofty. And the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphs were in attendance above him. Each had six wings. With two they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. 
And one called to one another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The pivots on the threshold shook at the voices of those who called, and a house filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And yet my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. And one of the seraphs flew to me, holding a live coal that had been taken from the altar, with a pair of tongs. The seraph touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your guilt has departed, and your sin is blotted out. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. He said, Go. Lord, perhaps our sin is not that we are of unclean lips, but we can see, and we know you see, that we have cluttered our lives, each of us, and we as a church have cluttered our lives with things that are not you. You are our maker, and yet we've turned to made things to take care of us, to stand upon. And we are um, painfully aware in your presence of this uh, offense. We thank you for your mercy this morning. We ask that you would touch us also, that our guilt could depart and our sin be blotted out. We know that you have in fact done that, that you have made a way to do that, that we do not need to hope for it, for it is a sure thing. It is a done thing. And we know that having been forgiven, you can and do then say, go. And so we ask, O oh God, that you would help us to turn to our maker and not to made things for our help and that you would help us to live in the mercy that you extend to us and that you would help us to go because there are many around us who need to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> 